0: as she come to the top. Mamo calls the family together. Mother, father, Bernard, Tress, even Patrick, who has only recently begun to speak himself. Don't treat her differently, Mamo tells them. Talk to her the way you did before she was sick. Include her in everything. Don't leave her out. She may be only five years old, but never stop speaking to her. Whether she understands or not, encourage her to talk back. In a month, she'll be six, and she's going to need schooling. Mother has not made up her mind about schooling. Twice a week she goes to the Catholic Church and prays that Granya's hearing will come back. Even though the priest shakes his head, Mother has not given up hope. Father looks at his third child, his red-haired daughter, her brows scrunched, eyes intent, her glance flitting from one pair of lips to another. Father tries to keep his sorrow at bay. He knows that the child will never hear. Dr. Clark's diagnosis has been emphatically clear. Patrick, the baby, walks from one pair of knees to another, balancing as he goes. Talk, he says, imitating Mamo. Talk, talk. 1. 1903 to 1905. Chapter 1. A deaf child will learn 300 to 500 words in a year, if at all intelligent. First, the child is taught the sounds, and then how to combine them. Lecture. The Toronto Fair. Deseronto, Ontario. "'Go to my room,' Mamo is pointing to the floor above. "'Bring the package on my bureau.' "'Grania watches her grandmother's lips. "'She understands, pushes aside the heavy tapestry curtain "'that keeps the draft from blowing up the stairs, "'and runs up to the landing. "'She pauses long enough to glance through the only window in the house "'that is shaped like a porthole, "'even though it's at the back of the house and looks over land, not water.' She peers down into the backyard, sees the leaning fence, the paddock, and over to the right, the drive sheds behind Father's Hotel. Far to the left, over the top of the houses on Mill Street, she can see a rectangle of field that stretches in the opposite direction, towards the western edge of town. A forked tree casts a long double shadow that has begun its corner-to-corner afternoon slide across the field. Remembering her errand, Granya pulls back, runs to Mamo's room, finds the package tied up in a square of blue cloth, and carries it, wrapped to the parlor. Mamo pulls a low chair over beside her rocker. Her rocker moves with her, out to the veranda, back to the parlor, out to the veranda again. Sit here, her lips say. Granya watches. Her fingers have already probed the package on the way down the stairs, and she knows it's a book. At a nod from Mamo, she unties the knot and folds back the cloth. The first thing she sees on the cover is a word, a word picture. The word is made of yellow rope and twines its way across the deck of a ship where a bearded captain steers and a barefoot boy sits on a rough bench beside him. The boy is reading a book that is identical to the one in Grania's hands. It has the same cover. The sea and sky and sails in the background are soft blues and creams and browns. Granya knows the rope letters because, after the scarlet fever, she relearned the alphabet with Mamo. The yellow letters curve and twist in a six-letter shape. Sunday, Mamo says. The title of the book is Sunday, but you may keep the book in your room and look at it any time you want. Every day we'll choose a page and you will learn the words under the picture, yes? Eyebrows up? A question. The book is for her. This she understands. Yes, her fingers roam the cover, but she has to be still or she will give Mamo the fidgets. There are many words in the book, Mamo says. So many words. She taps her fingers against the cover. Some day you will know them all, she mutters to herself. If you can say a word, you can use it, not knowing how much Granya has understood. We will do this word by word, until your parents make up their minds to do something about your schooling. You've already lost one year and a valuable part of another. Mamma's finger points at the book and her eyes give the go ahead flicker. Granya opens the stiff cover and turns the blank sheet that follows. The word Sunday is on the inside, too, but this time its letters are dark and made of twigs instead of yellow rope. The page that follows the twigs is in color. A brown and white calf has stopped on a grassy path and is staring at a girl. The girl is approaching from the opposite direction. She seems to be the same size and age as Granya. She might be seven or eight. Only the back of her can be seen. Blue dress, black stockings, black shoes. Her hat, daisies tumbling from the crown, droops from one hand. A doll wearing a red dress dangles limply from the other. The doll's hair is as red as Granya's. No one in the picture is moving. The calf looks too startled to lift a hoof. Granya points to two words beneath the picture and looks at Mamo's mouth. Both afraid, Mamo reads. The first sound erupts from Granya's lips. Bo. she says. Bo. Mamo makes the th shape with her tongue. Bull th. Granya tries over and over, watching Mamo's lips. Th is not so easy. She already knows afraid. Afraid is what she is every night in the dark. Practice, Mamo tells her. She lifts herself out of the rocker, leaving behind the scent of Canada bouquet. The perfume she chose because of its name and because she chose this country and because of the stench of the ship she left behind many years ago and because Mr. Eaton sends the perfume from his mail-order catalog in tiny bottles that cost 41 cents. The air flutters like a rag as she walks away. Grania breathes deeply, inhaling the scent. She sniffs the closed book and squeezes it to her as if it might get away. Both and afraid roll together, thick and half new on her tongue. She runs upstairs to the room she shares with her older sister. Tress is stretched out reading her own book, The Fairies. Sometimes Mamo and Tress read aloud to each other after Tress walks home from school. Granya watches their lips, but she doesn't know the stories. "Hey," Granya says to Tress. She points to the words beneath the picture. Say in my ear. Tress's glance takes in the new book. She knows it is a gift from Mamo. "'What's the use?' she says. "'You won't hear.' She shakes her head, no. Out, says Grania. "'You still won't hear. Out in my ear.' She narrows her voice so that Tress will understand that she is not going to go away. She turns her head to the side and feels Tress's cupped hands and two explosive puffs of air. Tress listens as Granya practices. Bon, afraid, bon, afraid, bon, afraid. Pretty good, her mouth says. She shrugs and goes back to the fairies. Supper, like all meals, is eaten at the big oval table, the family only table, in the private corner of the hotel dining room next door. All through the meal, Granya thinks of the brown and white calf and the girl in the blue dress. She sees them in her head when she walks along Main Street with Mamo in the early evening, and when she lies in her bed later, eyes open in the dark. Both afraid, her voice says softly. She doesn't want Tress across the room to hear. A breeze wisps through the window sash above her sister's bed. Tress's window faces the slope of roof that tilts toward the upper balcony of the hotel. From up here, house and hotel appear to be joined, though they are not. There is a roofed open passageway between. A second bedroom window looks over Main Street and the Bay of Quinte, a large bay that slips in from the Great Lake Ontario, which is part of the border between Canada and the United States. A single maple tree grows up past this front window of the girl's room. Almost every family activity takes place on that short stretch of road that is the main street of town. To the east, Not far past Naylor's Theatre, Main Street ends where land meets bay. The western end of Main, where Grania lives, tips up to join the old York Road, now Dundas Street, which leads west through Mohawk Indian lands and on to the city of Belleville, twenty miles farther along the bay. To the east, the same road passes through the northern part of town and leads to Napanee, Kingston, and the St. Lawrence River. Much of the town of Deseronto lies below this road on the edge of the bay. The town is like an overgrown village, really, but the Rathbun Industries have been here for years and have made it a company town that boasts of railway and steamers and numerous enterprises sprawled along the waterfront. Many of the factories and stacks of lumber, the mill, the coal sheds, the railway car shops, the tracks and the turntable for the engines, lie between Main Street and the shore. On both sides of Main, there is a mixture of houses and places of business. Telegraph office, confectioner, maker, grocer around the corner.